Open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. The title of today's message, Day 6, God Created Mankind, Part 2. Day 6, God Created Man, Part 2. We did not take the hill in our last attempt. Lord willing, we will take the hill today. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31 finishing up that first glorious chapter of God's revelation of Himself. The first point in review, God created mankind in His image. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Verse 27, So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created them. So the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit spoke within the Godhead, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. In mankind, male and female were created in the likeness of God for the glory of God. In Genesis 5 verses 1 through 5 it says, This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Adam lived were 938 years and he died. Adam was the first man created. And we are all descendants of Adam and Eve. Adam was created from the dust, Eve from the rib of Adam to serve God at Adam's side as his helpmate. In the day that God created man, what day was that? Day six, the day, the literal day that God created mankind. And last time we searched through the scriptures to see that that is consistent throughout the revelation of God's word that it is a literal day and a literal Adam created that we have all descended from. As Acts 17 declares that he, God, has made from one blood every nation of men. From one blood every nation of men. The blood of Adam and Eve. The blood of mankind. Mankind. Not critter kind. Not beast kind. Mankind. Created in the image of God with an eternal soul. Created in the image of God with a conscience upon which God's law is written. God created mankind in His image. For the fullness of that point, you'll have to go back and get it online. Second point, God created mankind male and female. Again, verse 26, 27 And this time 28. But then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So God not only created mankind in his image. God created male and female. And this is vital truth for our day. And knowing what I was going to preach as we were singing the songs, we're singing about God's Word and the blessing of God's Word. This was on my mind. 
And some years ago, it would have been less on my mind, but in our current era where we see this uprising against God manifesting itself in non-binary convictions, non-binary deceptions, I find this truth all the more essential, all the more beautiful, all the more precious, all the more needed, desperately needed. We need to hold fast to Genesis chapter 1, or we are set adrift from reality, and we find ourselves in a non-binary world of insanity. God created mankind male and female. We need to expound upon that more fully. America's descent into Romans 1, truth-suppressing sexual perversion madness, was evident in the 2020 census which included separate categories for opposite-sex and same-sex spouses and unmarried partners. For the first time, the census coming out every 10 years, once a decade, for the first time, the census read like this. How is this person related to person one? So person one is typically the head of the household, and then they want to know how the subsequent persons in the home are related to person one. Here are the options. 16 options of how they're related. But the first one is opposite sex, husband, wife, spouse. And let me tell you, it disturbed me to the core of my Christian being to answer this question. Of course, my wife is opposite sex. The second category, opposite sex, unmarried partner. The third category, same sex, husband, wife, slash spouse. The third category, same sex, unmarried partner. They are now recognizing this perversion in our nation. And they want to assess how many folks have given themselves over to this perversion. And that's just one small, small way that we see the government recognizing the perversion officially. And by the way, that's Satan's state that wants to recognize that. That's Satan's state that wants to establish that. It's Satan's state that wants to codify it, protect it, that wants to make it lawful marriage. When in reality, it's mirage. Why is it mirage and not marriage? Because God defines marriage. Why are men who identify themselves as women deceived and deceivers? Because God defines manhood. In a TGC, Gospel Coalition, article titled, Speaking Truth and Love, Should Christians Use Gender-Neutral Pronouns? Dr. Stephen West asks, Does a Christian have the liberty to say, quote, I'm a Christian, and I believe that God created people as either male or female. I need to honor God, but I'm willing to honor your wishes in regards to being called Z. Because I want to have an ongoing relationship with you, and I want to be able to tell you more about the love of God and Jesus Christ. So that's the question answered. And the implication is, or excuse me, that's the question asked. And the implication is, the answer is yes, of course that's reasonable and you can do that. He goes on. Does a Christian have the liberty to discern which approach is most likely to give opportunities for the gospel to gain an audience? Now, that's very Arminian, right? Does a Christian have the liberty to discern which approach is most likely to give opportunities for the gospel to gain an audience? Well, the gospel gains an audience every time you proclaim it in their hearing. The gospel comes with the power of God into salvation. If they are numbered amongst God's elect, predestined, and chosen, the gospel will save them. The gospel doesn't have to gain an audience. 
You just need to find the audience and proclaim it. The reason we want to bow and cow to this gender rebellion is not for the sake of the gospel. It's for our own sake, so that we'll not be persecuted. He goes on, if people we meet in the transgendered community... See, I, it's not a transgendered community. What kind of honor is that? What kind of justification is that? I'm not going to justify it or honor it. It's not the transgendered community. It is a rebellious, sexually immoral, sexually perverse group of men and women. If people we meet in the transgender community are convinced that Christians are hate-filled bigots, homophobic, transphobic, do we need to take our stand immediately on the issue of gender-neutral pronouns? Or is that a secondary issue on which we can be flexible so that we have more opportunity to share the gospel? Can different Christians honor God by taking different stances? And the answer to his questions are no, 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 and no. And here's why. Can a Christian join sinners in their sexual rebellion against God and affirm it through the lying use of incorrect pronouns? Calling a he, a she? That's an incorrect pronoun, right? Or made up pronouns? Calling a she, a z, Or some other Romans 1, truth-suppressing, God-hating term? You understand that's what it is. It's a Romans 1, truth-suppressing, God-hating term. Can we join them in the use of those terms? Can we join them in their denial of the gender that God gave them to further the gospel? No, we can't join them, and that does not further the gospel. Joining them in their lie doesn't help them come to the truth. They don't just need the gospel. They need an uncompromising proclamation of the law of God. The law is a tutor to bring them to Christ to be justified by faith. We don't enhance the gospel by diminishing the offense of the law. We don't enhance the gospel, by failing to call them to repent. Jesus should not have questioned that dear, marginalized Samaritan woman at the well. Now, should he have? He should have honored her so-called marriage that really was what? A mirage. It was no marriage at all. She just had her latest live-in lover. According to this idea of how to enhance the power of the gospel... Jesus was wrong. He should not have said, what about those husbands you have that aren't husbands? He should not have pointed out her sin to bring her to repentance that she might see her need of a Savior. Of course, we know that Jesus is God in flesh, omniscient. He is the perfect evangelist with the perfect gospel methodology. And so, of course, this writer is wrong. This Dr. Stephen West, the lead pastor at Crestwick Baptist Church, adjunct professor at Heritage Seminary, training up pastors, and Toronto Baptist Seminary, and the author of Head, Heart, and Hands, Life Transforming Apologetics, and Resurrection Scripture and Reformed Apologetics. So he's in the Reformed camp. He's a professor training pastors and other Christians, and he's a pastor himself teaching this anti-gospel methodology. I continue, they don't need us to capitulate to their gender rebellion against the God they hate and their lies. They need us to lovingly and consistently speak God's truth, God's law, and God's gospel. Christians don't join Romans 1 rebels in their declarations of non-binary status or gender dysphoria. And let me tell you, they want us to. They demand it. Even 
non-homosexuals, non-lesbians, the average rebel against God out there in our community, they are laughing and mocking the idea of gender. That there is even gender that we should define. They are mocking it. Because if you aren't in the know, dear Christian, there are 10, 15, or more genders out there now. No, indeed, God's Word is very clear. Male and female, He created them. There are two genders. Man and woman. Adam and Eve. And we're all descendants there. Of. And we do not join rebels against God. We do not join the deception against God. We do not use their lies, speak their lies, thinking we're enhancing the truth or enabling the gospel in some more powerful way. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Do we not believe God? Do we not believe Him? The law is the tutor to bring us to Christ? When we withhold the law, when we deliberately suppress the law, and by the way, Genesis is part of the law. It's part of the law. When we suppress the law, we're not helping them come to Christ. We are pushing them further from Christ. We need to bring the law to bear upon them. Lovingly, but clearly. Lovingly, but dogmatically. Without apology. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. We're not wiser than Jesus Christ. We're not wiser than God. We're not wiser than the Scriptures. We're not wiser than Psalm 19, verse 7 that says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And our culture desperately needs to be exposed to this law. Individual men and women desperately need to be exposed to this law. And when I say this law, I mean the law of Genesis 1, 26 and 27. That God created mankind in His image, male and female. That has become a vital portion of God's law. Again, not just for the individuals who are rebelling, but for our culture as a whole that's rebelling and applauding those who are leading the way in this sexual perversion, this non-binary perversion, this gender dysphoria perversion. Oh, hear me, hear me. This gender dysphoria perversion comes with the authority of today's prophets and priests. And today's prophets and priests in our atheistic society are the psychologists and psychiatrists. And so they will stand on the street or sit in your home or in the office, or anywhere in between, certainly in the school, and tell you, look, psychologists have said, psychiatric professionals have declared that gender dysphoria is real. Who are you to say it's not? Well, I, I believe the Bible, that, that God created them male and female. Oh, come now. You believe that archaic book over today's prophets and priests, those who define morality, those who define truth for us, the psychologists and the psychiatrists? And our answer, of course, is, oh yes, 
I believe God over man. Let God be true and every man a liar. Especially men and women who profess to be psychiatrists or psychologists because they are in a field where every man's doing what's right in his own eyes, where none of them agree with each other, except on this newest sexual perversion. They find agreement there, but they disagree with their predecessors or even themselves from a decade ago or two decades ago when they said that homosexuality was a mental malady, a disorder, and unhealthy for individuals. And so we need to embrace the Word of God out of love of God and love of neighbor. And we need to particularly embrace this portion of God's law, the revelation of God in creation, that God made man in His image, male and female, in order that they might learn the fear of the Lord, the beginning of knowledge, and not despise the wisdom and instruction of God as fools, as Proverbs 1, 7 speaks of. Christians who do anything to help America's collective, Romans 1, truth-suppressing, sexual rebellion against God or individual men and women's sexual perversion and gender lies are either apostate or on their way to apostasy. Dr. West might claim there are Christians who are attempting to further the gospel by joining sinners in their rebellion and suppression of the truth, but in reality, it isn't love of the sinner that drives us to compromise God's truth. It's love of self. We don't want to pay the cultural price of upholding God's truth and uncompromisingly proclaiming God's law and gospel. So we bend the knee. We bend the knee. And mind you, everyone who's bending the knee to BLM is bending the knee to gender dysphoria, bending the knee to non-binary human beings, human beings that aren't male or female, and human beings that were created by God, male, but Profess to be female. When you bend the knee to BLM, you're bending the knee to that sexual perversion, rebellion against God. This uprising against the Creator where we refuse to even be what God created us to be. You join them in their Romans 1 God-hating passion. May God guard us from such colossal compromise. And so God created mankind in His image. God created them male and female. Third, God created mankind to have dominion, verse 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air. And over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Mankind was created in the image of God, mankind was created male and female. Mankind is created to have dominion over all of God's beasts. Oh, yes, beasts. We are not beasts. We're not beast kind. We're mankind. 
We are separate from the beasts of the field. We're separate from the fish of the sea. We're separate from the birds of the air. We are mankind, created in the image of God, to rule over and subdue creation. Mankind alone is created in God's image for eternal life. Mankind alone is created by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Speaking together, let us make man in our image. This personal Trinitarian decree and creation. Mankind alone is created in God's image for eternal life and existence. And the rest of creation, the earth, sun, moon, stars, all plants, all birds, all fish, all whales, all dogs, all cats, cows, pigs, chickens, deer, mountain goats, and all endangered species are going to burn. They're all going to burn. All of them. Now, of course, we need to be good stewards. We need to be wise stewards. And yet we need to recognize they're all going to burn. It's all going to die. The Lord is going to undo the gluons of the cosmos and this earth in it. And all those creatures will be destroyed as Second Peter speaks of. Verses 1 through 15. You might turn there. Second Peter Chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Let's put mankind in his place over all creation. To be good stewards, yes, but to know, again fundamentally, to know that we are not beasts. We're not one amongst many beasts. We alone are created in God's image. We alone have been set by God's authority over all of creation to have dominion. Second Peter Chapter 3, verse 1, Now, beloved, I write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt away with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, Looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in Him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Do you want to know the future of this planet and all the cosmos? Do you want to know the future of the 
whales and the eagles and all the other protected and endangered species, it's all going to burn. That's the future of it. Again, we need to be wise stewards, but we cannot fall in love with this earth. And we certainly cannot, as some are want to, elevate this earth and individual life forms on it over and above mankind. Cows are not people too. Chickens are not people too. Dogs are not people too. Cats are not people too. Chimpanzees are not people too. John MacArthur spoke at the Shepherds Conference and actually spoke elsewhere on this topic, but regarding the theology of uncreation out of Second Peter 3 and the greening of evangelicalism, the greening of evangelicalism, and he was against it, not for it. Some of his statements in that message went like this. Amidst the threat of global warming, ask the question, have you ever seen a rainbow? God has promised to never destroy the earth with a flood. The polar ice caps are not going to melt and destroy the earth. All this fear. And mind you, the left likes fear. God-haters like fear. and They like to use it against God. They like to use it against God's truth. He said, Christ doesn't want to heal the creation. He cursed it. He cursed it. God has cursed this world because of our sin. And He's not going to heal it until He what? destroys it. There's no healing. He's going to destroy it and make a new heavens and new earth in which only righteousness dwells. 52% of evangelicals support strict environmental sanctions. Evangelicals, not liberal mainline denominations, evangelicals. Global warming restrictions, if enacted, the ones that Biden has sworn to enact, the ones that he has made part of his platform, the Green New Deal. Global warming restrictions will kill 20 to 50 million people in the next decade by halting technological progress, some experts estimate. Here's a great statement. This one really incited the left. Quote, we live on a disposable planet. That's reality. We live on a disposable planet. God is going to get rid of this thing that we have tainted with sin. Caltech scientists say global warning is on the same level as extraterrestrial beings. Now, if you're Al Gore, global warming is the reality. If you're sane, and you look at genuine science, it's on the level of extraterrestrial beings. It's on the level of E.T. Consensus science is not science. Skepticism is the brother of true science. Let me remind you of that reality in the light of the China virus. Skepticism is the brother of true science. You need to be skeptical of that which comes out and think critically. Legitimate science sees a correlation between sunspots and climate change. Warming is not produced by man, it's produced by the sun. Pastor MacArthur somewhat famously said this, So, step on the grass, shoot a deer, drill for oil now. And all of God's saints said, Amen. Do so wisely. Do so as good stewards, not seeking to wreck the environment, not seeking to wipe out any species, but know that this world is passing away and we are not the ones who are going to make it pass away. God is going to bring this thing to an end. This thing we have tainted with sin. 
and create a new heavens, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so God created mankind to have dominion, responsible dominion, but not earth worship dominion, not tree hugging dominion, not down with the humans, up with the beasts dominion. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, the Lord reestablishes the command to be fruitful and multiply after the global flood to Noah, his sons, and their wives. So originally in Genesis, at creation with Adam and Eve, God said, be fruitful and multiply. The left is against that. Being fruitful and multiplying? (gasps) Are you kidding me? That's nearly a criminal action today. That's irresponsible. That's why they... Part of why they love abortion. Now they love sex without responsibility. They love sex outside of marriage. And so abortion helps them in their pursuit of their sexual immorality. But it's also that they have no love of children. And we're meeting men and women, young men and young women who come to counter protest. They come to to protest us pleading for the lives of unborn babies saying, hey, look, I've already had an operation. I won't be able to have children. Who wants children? Who would bring children into this world? I don't want children. Which I understand. When you reject the Word of God, why would you value children? Especially when you reject the Word of God's counsel on how to raise godly offspring. Why would you value these savages that you raise up that will not obey the slightest word or direction? that will not honor father, mother, or any other authority because you never taught them to. You never enforced any rule over them. So they throw off all rule. I I understand why the secular world doesn't like kids. I get it. I understand why the secular world's greatest terror of the China virus probably isn't death, but children being home from school. (laughs) Right? I, I get that. I understand why so many children go to school to get their medications to calm them down. I understand why boys especially are the target. Boys full of energy and life who haven't been trained to obey, who haven't been trained to sit, right? We train dogs to sit, but not kids anymore. Are are kids smarter than dogs? Raise your hand if you think so. I think so. Can we train a kid to sit? Yes. Can we train a dog to stop barking? Yes. Can we train a child to stop talking when he shouldn't talk, when he should sit and listen to the teacher and receive instruction? Yes, but not in today's society because psychologists have come in to help us out with our parenting, rejecting the Word of God in their vast wisdom. Now we have children that must be drugged to sit and be quiet. And not a few, the masses of children. Now we have Disorders called ODD. All my kids had ODD to one level or another. I certainly did. Oppositional defiant disorder. That sound familiar, anyone? Yeah. ADD, attention deficit disorder. Oh, yeah. Virtually every boy, right? What do you want to be doing? Whatever's outside. Whatever is not, you know, sitting, listening, writing, memorizing. Yeah, every boy, or with a few exceptions, is opposed to that. You want to go you know, hunt, conquer, build. So let's drug them into a stupor so they'll sit there. That's what happens when psychology comes in. In these last few decades where psychology has taken over everything, certainly the home and the church and now the state, are we better off in the home? Are we better off in the church? Are we better off in the state? Is there greater mental health? Is there greater peace and prosperity, human flourishing? Are children thriving? Are the parents happy with those kids? No, 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 and no. One of the 
greatest blessings as far as counsel that I could give you and that you could receive and act upon is this. Get everything that stinks of psychology out of your life, out of your house, out of your heart, and out of your mind. It's from the pit of hell. It's the God-hating prophets coming to tell you how to live. Get it out of your life. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's God's command. And it's a standing command. He said it to Adam and Eve. He said it after the global flood that wiped out mankind for their sin. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Verse 2 of Genesis 9. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand and every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. So in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 31, we read that all of the plants are for food. All these seed bearing plants are for food and the seeds thereof, right? God's original design. But after the fall and the flood in Genesis 9, God says, hey, you can eat meat. Meat is on the menu. And all the men said, amen, we've been waiting for this. Why Is it morally right to eat chicken and morally wrong to eat children? Because children are created in the image of God, male and female. That's why. And because God said you can eat chicken. But if you kill a child, it's murder. And to eat a child is unconscionable. But hear me, when you reject the God of Genesis, there is no right or wrong. There is no good or evil there's only preference and we actually meet people from time to time that have figured that out and they'll tell you preference they'll tell you they don't do it because they don't want to go to jail it's not actually wrong it's not actually evil they've figured it out that without god no i can't say it's evil it's just not my preference that's scary and when you meet these people and they actually are arguing for this logically in the light of day it's pretty terrifying Genesis 9, verse 3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. This is part of our dominion. We have dominion over the plants, dominion over the critters. When you drive through Texas by cattle yard after cattle yard, don't cry. Right? When you drive by chicken farm, you might hold your nose, but don't weep. The Lord has given them to us for food. And let me tell you, the chicken is an amazing creature. It really is. You get a few chickens and very quickly... You are wealthy. You're in a third world nation. You get a male chicken and a female chicken. You get a rooster and a hen. And suddenly you've got what? Eggs and meat. And it's coming quite regular. It's an amazing gift of God. And they grow up fast and they can be harvested regularly. It's an amazing creature that God has designed for our blessing. The cow despite the left's insanity over methane. The cow's an amazing creature. You get a cow for a village or a cow for an orphanage in Africa, and that cow can provide milk for 50 kids. And you get a couple cows, and now you've got, well, you get a cow and a bull, (laughs) to be clear. (laughs) We want to keep our gender issues clear. You get a cow and a bull, and now you're, you're really providing for a village, not just an orphanage. Now you're, you're creating wealth in a very practical way that will provide for their bellies and keep them alive and keep them healthy 
Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, says Genesis 9, verse 3. And it is immoral to say otherwise. It is wicked to say otherwise. To withhold that which God says is given to be food in a world in which people are starving. India's Hinduism is evil as people starve while cows are worshipped. Genesis 9, verse 3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life. That's, that is its blood. Surely for your own life blood, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. And so if a beast takes a man's life, that beast shall die. If a man takes a man's life, that beast shall die. Why? Or that man shall die. Why? Because mankind is created in the image of God. If you've got one beast that kills a beast, you don't go out to the rainforest to hunt down the lion. Oh, you evil lion. No, the lion's just doing what the lion does. You don't go hunt it down. It's not a criminal. It's not a murderer. But if a lion kills a human being, God says, kill that lion. If a bear kills a human being, you kill that bear. And often, once a lion or a bear attacks and eats a human being, they do it again. And when a human being kills a human being, God says, you put them to death. They have assaulted the Imago Dei. That is capital punishment commanded by God. Genesis 9 verse 6 says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he has made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Thus says the word of God. God created mankind to have dominion over plants, over beasts. It is given both for our food, post-fall and post-flood. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 19 speaks to the issue of being fruitful and multiplying. Matthew 19, verse 3, The Pharisees also came to him, to Jesus, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? There's an expectation that they had read and believed the law, particularly Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, where he made them male and female. That's what Jesus is quoting. And then verse 5, he said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And what we find there is Jesus quoting Genesis chapter 2. So the Lord Jesus upholds the veracity of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Adam and Eve, the literal first human beings, and the literal marriage upon which every marriage is patterned. After, we find in Malachi chapter 2, more instruction regarding this, the be fruitful and multiply concept and command. In Malachi chapter 2 verse 13, it says, And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, weeping and crying. So he, God, does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not, 
make them one, have any remnant of the Spirit. And why one? Why did God make them one, husband and wife one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Why does God make them one for godly offspring? When we get far from God, when we reject the God of Genesis, when we reject our Creator, we embrace things, insanity like gender dysphoria. We embrace insanity like binary human beings. We also embrace marriage simply for the fulfillment of self. Not to produce godly offspring, not for the glory of God, not so that I might serve God better with a helpmate or with a husband and magnify Him, iron sharpening iron, but simply to fulfill my own wants and desires. And so many marriages are, are started that way. And if your marriage was started that way, like, like many were, then repent of that error and commit yourself to marriage for the glory of God and for the raising up of godly offspring. Because that's what marriage is for, for the glory of God and the raising up of God, the offspring. And when you get your priorities right, guess what? You'll have the happiest marriage possible when it's for the glory of God and producing godly offspring, you will find the blessings that God has intended. But when you enter into marriage and you continue in that pattern of seeking your fulfillment through marriage, you're going to find that she or he cannot fulfill you. He cannot forever be the sun and moon and stars. Because he's just a man. She cannot forever be the sun and moon star. She's just a woman. Eventually, we die. There's that reality. And it's sad. It's tragic. It's terrible. It is. Or they fail you in some terrible way. Or they fail you in many terrible ways. They fail you in many small ways, which is terrible. But they cannot fulfill you. Now, the husband should endeavor by the grace of God to love his wife as Christ loved the church. The wife should honor and obey her husband as unto the Lord. Um, and in that, for the glory of God, both of them doing it for the glory of God, not for self. I scratch your back so you'll scratch mine. No, I scratch your back, proverbially speaking, for the glory of God. I love you as Christ loved the church for the glory of God and for your blessing. And the wife submits unto the husband for the glory of God and for his blessing and ultimately results in her blessing and ultimately results in his blessing and everyone's blessed, God's glorified and children are raised as godly offspring, which is the goal that they might be the next generation. And mind you, that's what builds a strong society. That's what builds a strong America, a strong Western world. And the further we get from God, the Creator, and His law, we get into self-centered living. So marriage is just a convenience. And when it's no longer convenient, when it's no longer making me happy, what do I do? Pull the plug on that thing and be done with it all together. Go find the next Mrs. whatever or Mr. Right. Make the one you're with the Mr. and Mrs. Right, by getting right with God and getting right in your head. Let God's truth define what is right and what marriage is and the goal of marriage and how you should live as a husband, how you should live as a wife and how you should parent to raise godly offspring, to embrace this design of being fruitful and multiplying. To most of our world today, the command to be fruitful and multiply is a nightmare. Oh my goodness. That's a nightmare. And if you have a large Family, and by large, I mean anything over two children. If you have a large family and you walk around places like Trader Joe's or just pretty much anywhere in the Portland area, you are scorned. We actually had a woman essentially tell us that our child, who was behaving very well, shouldn't be in Trader Joe's. 
this is not a place for children. She was disgusted at this happy, happy child. Being happy and obedient and just making child sounds. It disgusted her. And she got off her broom, came over, and let us know. And we regret to this day that we did not tell her, oh, we saw your broom parked outside. It is evil. And some people, they can't contain their evil. They can't contain it. I remind you, we live in a society that is happy for babies to be murdered and for mothers to boast the murder of the child. That's how far we've gotten from God's design to be fruitful and multiply, from God's command to be fruitful and multiply. We hate that. And by and large, we hate children. We just do as a culture. It's terrible. It's evil. But that's what happens when you reject God. You descend into insanity. And you know nothing of the glory of Psalm 127. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. We, we see them as, as a hassle. They're just trouble. They're just a drain on our pocketbook. We want to be dinks, you know, double income, no kids, perpetually. No, they're a blessing from God for the glory of God. To be raised as godly offspring. To what? Glorify God when we're gone. To lead others to Christ when we're gone. To make a difference for the kingdom of Christ when we're gone. We're training up warriors for Christ. To advance the kingdom. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is honorable among all. It's honorable among all. And the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Be fruitful and multiply in the context of holy matrimony. Not just any old place. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. The marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. Any other bed is defiled. It's filthy. It's a perversion of God's design. Perversion doesn't start at homosexuality and lesbianism or whatever else is out there after that. Perversion starts at fornication or even the unbridled lust, looking and lusting, committing fornication and adultery in your heart and mind. But fornication, adultery, and then it graduates further. And our culture has graduated further. Fornication, adultery are just like non-issues in so much of the church today. It's just a non-issue. Fornication, no, you're welcome, it's fine, you love Jesus, yeah, absolutely, it's great, no big deal. Everybody's fornicating, adultery, sure, whatever, no big deal. Homosexuality, I mean, it's a progression. We didn't just arrive one day and decide homosexuals are Christians too and they can worship right alongside us. We, we didn't just start baptizing homosexuals and lesbians as Christians. Non-binary Christians. No, we graduated from sin to sin, from compromise to compromise. All in the name of the gospel, right? We've got to love those fornicators. We've got to love those adulterers. We've got to love the homosexuals. What's next? We've got to love the pedophiles. We've got to love those committing bestiality. Yes, we do. By calling them to repentance and confession of Christ as Lord. And if they'll not repent and confess Christ as Lord, they have no part in the body of Christ. No part. And so we are to have dominion over the earth. God created mankind to have dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the beasts of the field and the flora and fauna and to be fruitful and multiply in the context of holy matrimony, not fornication and adultery. Now, interestingly enough, when God first created lions, lions ate what? 
They ate grass. They ate fruit, perhaps. I don't know, but they didn't eat meat. I know that. Interestingly, on the excellent website, Creation Ministries International has out there for you, there's an article titled, The Lion That Wouldn't Eat Meat. It sounds kind of like a cartoon or something. The Lion That Wouldn't Eat Meat, but it's real. It's real. From 1946 to 1955, a female African lion born and raised in America lived her entire lifetime of nine years without ever eating meat. By four years of age, she was fully grown and weighed 352 pounds. The owner writes, it was, quote, a young visitor to Hidden Valley Ranch who finally put his mind at ease in response to the question of how little tight could be persuaded to eat meat, which was thought to be essential for carnivores to survive. He turned to look at me with serious eyes, then asked, don't you read your Bible? I admitted that I didn't read it as much as I probably should. He continued, read Genesis 1.30 and you'll get your answer. At my first opportunity, I got my Bible and turned to the passage he had indicated. To my astonishment, I read these words. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. Television footage and newspaper photographs of Little Tyke also moved many people, such as one who wrote, quote, Nothing has made me happier than your picture of the lion and the lamb. It has helped me believe in the Bible. So this lion literally lay with lambs as a testimony of that which was and that which is to come when the lion will again lay with the lamb. To close up this point, Pastor John MacArthur says this, only one component in the physical universe will last forever, and this is man. For only man in the end mattered to God ultimately. Everything else was only created to provide a world for man which would cause man to praise and thank and glorify God and put God's wonderful power on display and God's wisdom on display and God's intelligence on display. Certainly the complexity and the variety in the universe does that so that man would glorify and honor God. But it all burns. It all burns. Only man is made in the image of God. It was only man that concerned the Trinity ultimately. It was only man that was the product of intra-Trinitarian communication. Let us make man in our image, male and female. He created them, and he created them to have dominion over everything else. Final point, God created mankind without sin and everything was good. Verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God saw everything, everything, sun, moon, stars, birds of the air, fish of the sea, beasts of the field, mankind, all the plants and all their variety, and it was all very good. So evening and the morning were the sixth literal day. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, Truly this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. God made everything upright, everything good, including mankind. But men sought out many schemes. We'll get to the fall in the coming chapters. We can't cover that now or be stealing from future messages. But suffice it to say, God made mankind and everything else 
good. Now, let's contrast that with the predominant world view that many Christians ascribe to. Evolution. What does evolution require? Thousands upon tens of thousands upon hundreds of thousands of years of suffering and struggle and death and survival of the fittest. There is no peace with the Darwinian worldview and the biblical worldview and truth. No peace at all. The Bible is clear that sin brought death. The Bible is clear that God created life in all of its complexities. Darwinian evolution says that death created life in all of its complexities. Darwinian evolution provides no foundation or start to life. None at all. They have no explanation for how life started. Not a real explanation. Oh, they have faith-based statements about primordial soups or rocks with cracks where life sprang forth. But mind you, there is the law of biogenesis that that contradicts. The law of biogenesis. It's impossible. And so everything was good. So where did everything bad come from? Mankind. Our sin. Did God allow that? Yes, He did. For His glory. And that is the greatest good. And the most horrific things in this world, we must understand that God has allowed them in His infinite wisdom so far above ours that we cannot begin to comprehend it. And we can trust His infinite wisdom. That even the most heart-wrenching evil in this world and in the history of the world ultimately is for the good of God's elect and the glory of God. We trust Him in it. We submit unto Him in it. We rejoice in His superintending of all things that come to pass. And we praise Him for it. Then God saw everything that He made, and indeed it was good. And here is the promise of Scripture. He's going to destroy this sin-tainted world. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more tears. There'll be a new heavens and new earth in which only righteousness dwells and it will be all good all the time under the fullness of God's love forever. Oh, that we would follow close after Christ. His kingdom is coming. The fullness of the love of God upon His children is coming forever. This old sin-affected dying world is going to end. It's all going to burn. Flee to Christ, follow close to Christ, draw near unto Christ, work out your salvation with fear and trembling that you might be there in that eternal kingdom with eternal life, with a body fit to live forever, to worship God forever, to serve God forever. A body that is Imago Dei, a being that is Imago Dei, created in God's image for God's glory. Day six, God created mankind. And mankind can't live and prosper without the truth of Genesis 1, 26-31. The truth of day 6. May this truth reside in your heart and rule in your minds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.
for the truth of your word. May it set us free from the lies of the devil and the world system that serves him. May we stand resolute upon Holy Scripture, walking in the light thereof, living in the light thereof, exhorting others to repent of rebellion against it and the God of it, and to flee unto Jesus and find salvation and life abundant, life eternal, and certain entrance to the kingdom to come where they will abide into your love forever. We commit it unto you in the mighty name of Jesus, our Creator, our Savior, and our friend. Amen.